Welcome to another episode of Newscape Higher Ed Advisors. I'm Mark Stansbury. Yes, hi, and I'm Don Betts. Today we have with us an individual who has accomplished so much uh, and uh, in higher education, but also in the corporate world and also government. I mean, to think from the college days, the high school days, college days, to uh, working in the SEC, uh, of course, before that, also, uh, and that's the Security Exchange Commission, by the way, not the football, <laughs> as, as we think of as higher education, so I better clarify that, but also uh, an attorney, uh, working in the corporate world, and I'm not going definitely in the, in the, in the chronological order, but uh, to go into higher education from going to corporate America to higher education in Alabama and, and Arkansas and travels and, and then also raising a family and uh, with Chip and so forth. I mean, it goes on and on the list and uh, you're just getting started. Allison Garrett, Chancellor, Allison Garrett is with us today. Welcome. Thank you so much. Looking forward to visiting with you all. Well, I, I think of the days uh, when I worked with you, uh, I was on the board of trustees at Oklahoma Christian University and uh, that was uh, around 2007, if I remember, to around 2012. And uh, I think of all the things before that time that you accomplished and what you've accomplished since. I would like to have you, instead of reading a bio, I always like to, I know Don and I like this very much, is where you get to tell your story a little bit about your journey, what you would like to highlight, especially taking, as I mentioned, the government and the higher education side and the corporate side and and all the things, and, and finding this, uh, this journey is so intriguing. Can you please uh, tell us from your perspective and what we, you'd like for us to know more about Allison Garrett, Chance, Chancellor Allison Garrett? Well, thank you so much, Mark. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Neosha, Missouri, which is a small town uh, not far from Joplin, and uh, just had a wonderful experience with the public schools there in Neosho, and, and then went uh, to Oklahoma Christian for college. And uh, my college experience was a bit unique uh, because I came in one fall with a group of students. And then the next year I graduated with another group that I didn't know. <laughs> and uh, so I uh, went on into law school um, after that. And uh, I've since had the opportunity to counsel individuals who were thinking about law school or graduate school um, or who um, were thinking about uh, zooming through college quickly, and, and I don't necessarily recommend that to other people, although um, it worked out all right for me. Um, I practiced law for a little while in Tulsa, and then, uh, Mark, as you mentioned, with the SEC um, up in Washington, D.C., I got another law degree from Georgetown uh, while I was up there, and uh, then moved to Northwest Arkansas and spent a long time, more than a decade with Walmart and eventually was vice president and general counsel for the corporate division and uh, also did a turn as vice president of benefits, compliance and planning. Um, and uh, I had always thought I wanted to go into higher education, um, had this wonderful experience in the corporate world, got to work on amazing deals with fantastic people. And, uh, and I got a call about an opportunity to become a law professor. And the timing just was perfect from a family standpoint because we had several young kids at the time. And uh, so I, I got to spend the next few years as a faculty member. And uh, then uh, Mark, as you mentioned, I was at Oklahoma Christian as the provost for a while. Uh, 
and uh, then down at Abilene Christian as the executive vice president before I moved to Emporia State University, uh, which is where I was the most recently serving as the president and uh, just had a, had a great um, time at every one of those places. I've met people who are committed to higher education and to student success. And I've made great friends in, in all of those places. Um, just one other kind of um, unusual thing. Um, a few years ago, I accepted a nomination to serve on the um, uh, President's Council for Division II Athletics. And so when I uh, left Emporia State just a month ago, a little over a month ago to become the Chancellor of Higher Ed in Oklahoma, um, I also stepped down from my role as um, the chair, essentially the chair for division two and the vice chair of the NCAA board of governors. And they've got just a little bit going on uh, right now. So um, I'm delighted to be in Oklahoma and see all kinds of opportunity to work with fantastic people here in Oklahoma. Allison, I'm so pleased that you can join us. I'll call you Allison instead of oh, Chancellor Gary, if you're all right please with that. Do, Don. Yes. And um, I so appreciate Mark helping to set the stage for the commentary you just gave us. There's, it's a very rich story and you've accomplished a great deal. And it seems like you have taken a number of steps that may have led you to this, this sort of opportunity. Uh, having both been presidents of universities in the past, I keep thinking about a whole realm of questions I'd love to ask you as chancellor. But the first one, um, I'd like you to talk just a little bit with us about, about um, that role, that chancellor's role, because you have, you have served in a variety of capacities, uh, including university president. And when you can compare and contrast being university president and a system chancellor, there are similarities, but great differences. Could you talk a little bit about how you see this role, this formal and perhaps informal role as chancellor of a higher ed system? Well, um, that is a great question. And really, I think there are two things that I think of as key in this role. And the first has to do not with the specific role, but with higher ed generally in the state of Oklahoma. And my belief is that workforce development is job one for all of us. Um, we are all interested in assuring that we run quality programs, that we're able to attract and retain and then graduate students who will go out and uh, go to work in the different businesses, the schools, um, and uh, nonprofits around the state. And so I think workforce development is hugely important. From a personal standpoint, I view my role number one as being uh, the chief cheerleader and advocate for higher education in the state. And uh, that means uh, spending time talking about what higher education accomplishes and bragging on the accomplishments of the different institutions and students and uh, faculty and staff members. And uh, I see myself as an advocate for adequate funding um, for the state system uh, in Oklahoma and, um, and someone who is that liaison uh, between higher education and uh, different um, key groups throughout the state, whether it's state chambers or um, state governments um, but someone who is a bridge builder um, in that respect. So an advocate, a cheerleader, a bridge builder. 
all, all of those roles would certainly take a great, a great deal of your time. I think uh, perhaps some of our colleagues that join us on Newscape might not, um, might not be aware of the fact that the chancellor, while you're head of the system, you don't hire the presidents. They are right. in fact hired by their own board. So a question that I would have as a, as a former president, having worked very closely with uh, chancellors in the past is, is that, so because you don't, and I use the term hire and fire the presidents, um, how do you build, um, and what steps will you take and how do you build the relationships with the presidents so that they can in fact help you accomplish the goals you just articulated so well for the future of higher ed in Oklahoma? Well, that um, that's a great question. And um, I should probably note that I have been on the job for less than a month at this point. And so most of this is prospective rather than retrospective at this point. Um, I've already visited a number of campuses and uh, hopefully over the next few months, I will have visited all of the different institutions uh, here in Oklahoma. Um, we're blessed to have a number of great um, higher ed institutions, research, uh, four-year regional institutions and two-year um, colleges as well. And um, I've already been hitting the road and, and visiting different schools. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, a president at a school um, actually invited me to address prospective students, which was kind of shocking to me. I loved it um, and uh, really enjoyed having that opportunity to interact with uh, prospective students because that's one thing about this role that I'll, I'll probably miss. Um, I think building those relationships with uh, the presidents is key um, and developing trust, um, working with them on having a clear understanding of what they see as uh, strengths of their school, of the system, and also opportunities um, for us to uh, perhaps do a better job um, are all things I'm hopeful that we can work on over the next several years. Absolutely, and I can tell you that um, my former colleagues will be very um, excited to connect with you in order to create um, a common uh, approach to securing the goals that you're articulating so well today. Well, I'm not gonna dominate the whole time. Mark, it's your give it back to you. I still have a <laughs> long list of questions for Allison. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> I love listening, by the way, it's great uh, to hear both of you at your leadership roles. It, it, two uh, mentors of mine, uh, it's unbelievable to have you both on today. So I really appreciate it. I should note that this has been recorded December 3rd, 2021 uh, for, for those that are listening because of uh, activities that we are all involved with. It's good to have that date in mind. Corporate development and then higher education development. How do they interrelate, and and how do how do you go about taking your your expertise in so many different areas, whether it's law, corporate development, and so forth, and apply those now and into the higher education world? Well, um, I'm going to answer that a couple of different ways, uh, Mark. First, uh, by talking about some of those skills that uh, I think are directly translatable into higher ed um, from the corporate world. Um, but secondly, uh, with respect to um, opportunities for partnerships uh, among higher ed institutions and, and corporations, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mentioned that I'd spent a long time in the corporate world. I think um, having an understanding of um, 
the way that uh, the corporate world operates has been really helpful to me in higher education. It's uh, given me a different way of looking at higher education um, and uh, maybe given me some skill sets. Uh, Don, you earlier mentioned something about the relationship between presidents and boards. And, you know, for years I did all of Walmart's uh, board of directors work and um, I've always loved what I thought was a, an incredibly pithy phrase <laughs> that someone who did a lot of corporate governance work um, used years ago. He said, nose in, fingers out, as a way of describing what boards should be about. Um, they ought to be setting high level direction and uh, uh, hiring, as you noted, uh, the CEO, or the, in this case, the president of the institution, um, and uh, being supportive. Um, and um, you know, when it comes to day-to-day -day management, um, it's the uh, institution that has that responsibility. And it's a responsibility that's also codified in our Higher Learning Commission um, policy manual as well. Um, so uh, there's so many um, skills. Some of it was policy drafting, um, you know, dealing with different constituent groups in the corporate world that I just found to be directly translatable. A lot of the um, understanding of how to build tools that worked in the corporate world and can also work in higher education um, came from my time in the corporate world, things like dashboards and, and strategic plans with Gantt charts and, and all of that. Um, then the second thing I, I thought I would mention that relates to your question is mm -hmm. about the partnerships that can and ideally I think should exist between higher ed institutions and uh, companies, um, or uh, I'll just say the workforce more generally, I think higher ed institutions have an obligation to stay current on what um, the business community's needs are. And I say business communities, and please understand, I'm using that term broadly because we're also producing teachers and um, artists and, and everyone, but, um, Know, what are the expectations for those who are going to be hiring the graduate graduates that we produce? And um, staying current on those expectations is important. Working with the business community for um, the purpose of assuring that our students have opportunities to do internships, um, to, to learn on the job, uh, I think is really important as well. And um, at times seeking funding uh, from mm -hmm. the business community, because all of us know that there are certain very high need areas and uh, institutions are not funded to necessarily uh, go out and build, you know, high tech labs in this field or that field without support. And so the business community can be helpful in that respect as well. And uh, I'm really excited about the prospect over the next um, few years of getting out there and meeting with members of the business community, um, chambers of commerce around the state, rotary clubs, all of those groups, um, as well as meeting uh, those on the college campuses. So um, there are a lot of constituents that this group works with and I'm excited about working with all of them. Wonderful. <laughs> yes, and I'm sure that everyone wants you next week, right? To be able to, <laughs> exactly. So here, here's, a, here's an issue that I, I would want you to speak to a little bit because you talked earlier about support for higher ed, et cetera. And that has to do with um, experience that we've had in Oklahoma for many, many years where that support 
for higher education has not translated into greater assistance from Oklahoma as a political entity, and particularly from the Oklahoma legislature. I'm not gonna give you all the percentages per year that uh, the institutions across the state lost support and revenue, but I keep thinking about the two issues, uh, Allison. One is how do you address that, although there was a little bit of uh, resources last year, the, the dramatic change from the support that was there 20 years ago versus today, and then in the same, sort of in the same breath, um, is this somehow tied to public perception of the value of higher education? Okay. Well, I, I am gonna talk for just a moment about uh, some of those numbers, Don, just to kind of set the stage. Um, SHEO, which is the State Higher Education Executive Group, uh, it's a national organization, did a, did a survey um, just about a year ago, and they looked at the decade, 2010 to 2020, and all 50 states, and they asked the question, what happened with higher ed funding in all 50 states? And arrayed those states along a line where, you know, at the middle, funding stayed steady. To the right of that point, there were increases. To the left of that point, there were decreases. Oklahoma, at negative 37%, um, was the worst hit of all 50 states um, during that decade. And to your point, there was a little bit of additional funding last year. Um, what that means, and if we look back to, to 2008, um, what that means is that uh, higher education as a system in Oklahoma is down by around $200 million, not adjusted for inflation. Um, so in 2008, we were getting, I think it was a billion and 15. Now we're at just under 813 million. And, um, and so that's been, that's been a hard hit. And, and I wanna take just a moment and um, say kudos to those in higher education in Oklahoma, because despite those hits, um, there's some real uh, significant wins over the last decade. We've increased the production of STEM degrees. We've even marginally increased the production of our bachelor's degrees, which is, is frankly pretty, um, pretty amazing. What excites me though is I, I believe that we have uh, in the legislature, in the governor's office, individuals who are very data-driven and the data is incredibly persuasive um, for higher education being not an expense to the state, but an investment by the state. Um, for every dollar that the state invests in Oklahoma higher education, $9.40 is returned. And uh, I know you all have seen the data that also indicates um, college graduates, um, the median college graduate will make twice as much over their lifetime as a high school graduate. They'll pay more in taxes, um, almost $10,000 more per year. That's all levels of taxes. They are lower uh, users of social services um, to the tune of about 35,000, which I think is a net present value over someone's lifetime. And so higher education is an incredible investment for the state. For those of us in higher education today, I think what's important is to articulate clearly how that investment can support the workforce needs of the state. And uh, that's the challenge over the next few years, um, but it's one that's really exciting because I do believe that we have a legislature and a governor today who um, understand 
what the data says and are eager to make sure that Oklahoma can become a top 10 state in higher education. I, I can hear uh, my, my former colleagues across the state of Oklahoma cheering, listening to what you're saying, because they do know, do know that data. But the conclusion that you're drawing, and it's very, it's very upbeat and positive, is that you have partners to work with uh, in the official segments of Oklahoma that are ready to address these issues. One little piece I added toward the end, which maybe didn't segue as well as I would like, and that had to do with looking at those numbers and then also looking at, at um, the perceptions that you hear articulated that maybe college is not a worthwhile investment. You've already talked about what a great investment is for the state, et cetera. And maybe higher education is not the, um, is not the focus that a state like Oklahoma sh should take. Obviously, your comments just now address that rather directly. But it, it always bothered me that people try to portray a college education as, as a personal gain and not as a public good. And I think- And it's both. And it's definitely both. Absolutely. Right. And you, again, you talked about it uh, really, really uh, significantly, and I appreciate it. I want to give it back to Mark before we run out of time. Mark? Many describe higher education as, uh, especially since uh, since COVID, it was, it's gone away, the golden age of higher education. Uh, what do you see as a vision of the new higher education, or is part of the golden age of higher education still here, and will it still remain? And I think that goes back to probably brick and mortar as well as, as uh, technology uh, that's moving forward as well. You know, as I think about the future, um, you know, that great Wayne Gretzky quote, he says, I don't skate to where the puck is, I skate to where the puck will be. Um, mm -hmm. right. That's what our challenge is as we develop a strategic plan for the system over the next um, year or two. And as I look at the future, um, and I'm trying to look not just five years down the line, but 20, 30 years down the line, I see a lot of uh, really important changes happening. Uh, there's, a, there's a great book out there, and I've forgotten the author's name. It's called Robot Proof, and it's talking about what jobs of the future will remain robot proof. Uh, there was a study that uh, came out from Georgetown, um, the Center for Workforce and Education a couple of years ago. Two thirds of all of the new jobs that are being created today require higher education. Um, something else that is a significant change is that our demographics are changing across the country and across the state. Um, you know, you can look at a snapshot of Oklahoma demographics, but for higher education, what we need to look at is the snapshot of the K through 12 system and the dem demographics there. And um, in the last decade, I believe that Hispanic students as a group in the K through 12 system increased by 78% in the state of Oklahoma. And so as we are looking toward that future, not just five years down the road, but 10, 20, 30 down uh, the road, we've got to be thinking about those things. Um, something else that gives me some pause um, has to do with the key drivers of the Oklahoma economy. Mm -hmm. uh, and are we as a state preparing ourselves for an economy that in 30 years may look very different as yeah. industries shift? And so those are, those are all things that I think about and things that as we work on developing 
that strategic plan for the system, I think, need to be a part of it. Is there a is there a corporate leader uh, and a and, and a, as far as higher education leader that you look to when you're modeling uh, how you're going to pursue your job as a chancellor uh, or mentors that you've had in the past as well? So um, I I have been asked that question before, and I usually. Um, uh, answer that by talking about sort of the cafeteria plan of, of mentors and role models. Um, because as I've, uh, you know, been in the corporate world and I've been in higher education, there are uh, individuals that I respect tremendously for different things. Uh, you know, one might be uh, someone who runs a great meeting because at the end of the meeting, everyone knows exactly what's expected and what the timeline is. Um, and the meeting, um, you know, is, is very efficient. Um, for someone else, um, you know, it might be, what are those key drivers in the future? Um, and, um, you know, the, the forward-looking um, uh, aspect of, you know, a particular person. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I've always just kind of gone with the cafeteria plan, and uh, I've had so many different role models through the years, but um, often the individual is not a role model in every aspect of their lives. They're um, someone that I respect, but I'm, I'm looking to them because of just one or two or three things that I um, think they are really phenomenal at. Right, right. Allison, go ahead, Mark, I'm sorry, go ahead. Don, it's yours, next question. Okay, uh, Allison, um, I, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking of, this is a leader who understands the immediate needs, but is appropriately, um, gesturing all of us to take the long view. And I think that is really gonna be very useful in Oklahoma. And it reminds me that you have some identifiable persons in the state and particularly I think among some of the steps that have been taken by Native American tribes in the state that have basically um, embraced this long view. So that rather than the short-term gain and a puff of smoke, it's long-term leadership, deep investment, education, healthcare, housing, infrastructure, et cetera. And I, I hear in your tone as well as in your words, that kind of commitment and it's, it's very um, gratifying. Uh, about four years ago, well, my three years ago now, I guess, there was a six month long study in Oklahoma called the future of higher education. Uh, I happen to be involved with that along with probably 150 other people uh, in January of 2018, the report came out. And when you begin to read back through it, and I thought about that when we had a chance to have you with us today, I was thinking about some of the issues that were raised at that time. And much of it had to do with how do you look at that future uh, effectively? So the power of predictive analytics, for example, and the issue of micro-credentials. And if you would just speak a little bit as an educator, as well as, sure. as, as an academic leader, about um, the retailoring of some of the offerings that higher education may be able to embrace even more dramatically than they are now in order to meet those needs of a state evolving into its next form, as you just mentioned a moment ago. So, uh, you know, I've, I've read that um, report and I know that there were a lot of very insightful individuals who participated in that work. And I think that's a very good work. Um, you know, there's been a few years that have passed since then. Things have continued to change. Some people have said that 
The experience we've had with COVID has accelerated some of the technological changes by up to five years. Um, and uh, so things are certainly changing very, very quickly. And um, you know, we'll certainly be looking at our system and how our system serves the state. Um, and um, that's something that is, is very important over the next several years. Um, Don, you mentioned micro-credentialing, which is something that many of our institutions have been uh, very invested in for a number of years now. Um, and through the Regents Office, we uh, just recently uh, signed a, an agreement with Coursera, made um, their micro-credentialing platform available to uh, not only uh, Regents institutions, but some of the privates who wanted to join in. And uh, what that does, um, Coursera or other micro-credentialing, what that does for the workforce is invaluable. Um, you know, one of the things that is true of graduates today is that the job that they move into will look likely very, very different in another five or 10 or 20 years. And so the ability to level up, to acquire current skills, or maybe just to review is incredibly important for people who are in the workforce or even for students. You know, if you took a course three years ago and learned how to do pivot tables and you're moving into the workforce and you'll need that skill, you might not um, remember how if you took the course three years ago. And so um, that micro-credentialing, the ability to go back and refresh skills is I think really important. I do think that for the next several years, at least uh, maybe two, three decades, um, the typical, and I hate to use the term typical, but the typical 18 to 22 year old that people tend to think of will still mostly have an expectation of an on-campus experience, maybe not exclusively on campus. They may take some online courses while they're uh, in seat, um, but a good chunk of the higher ed market today, maybe 40% or so is the adult learner, someone who um, can't pick up stakes, move to another community. And um, you know, figuring out how we all address that learner's needs is really important. Um, there are some undergraduate courses and, and programs that will work well online. I think the way we do online education will be very different in 10, 20 years uh, than, than it is today. Uh, you know, I grew up um, when uh, color TV um, was just becoming a thing. And so, um, you know, I still remember the black and white TVs and you had to actually shift yourself off the couch to go change the channel. And, uh, and I think the, the way that we will look at online education in 20 years will be sort of like the, the way we look at color TV versus black and white TV. Mm -hmm. um, we all remember... Um, that first um, Star Wars movie where R2-D2 projects Princess Leia in 3D and she says, help me Obi-Wan Kenobi. And, um, and that technology exists um, today. In fact, at Emporia State, we actually did a 3D class uh, several years ago just to prove that that could be done. Um, and uh, so uh, 
you know, I think there's going to be a lot of changes in how we offer online education in the coming 10, 20, 30 years. And um, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see what that um, uh, does for um, the overall higher ed market. But um, I believe it, it will continue in many ways to be largely residential for the 18 to 22 year old, but for the adult learner, for a lot of graduate programs, but not all of them, uh, you'll continue to see migration um, to online. That's frankly where the growth is um, in so many graduate programs today. Well, that was just a wonderful overview. And uh, looking into the future, I keep, as you were speaking, I kept thinking about, can we give our, our students as they go through our programs, not only the knowledge for now, but the power of adaptability, that right. confidence, that confidence in their competence. And you articulated it just beautifully. I'm, I'm going to thank you uh, on behalf of of Mark and myself, I want to pass it to Mark to make any closing comments, but I, we both wish you just a, a extensive and unfettered success oh, in serving you. the good people of Oklahoma and those institutions that we all care about. So thank you. We hope we can have you back sometime when you're a little bit further in than four weeks, right? Into the job. <laughs> but thank you for taking time to oh, be with thank us. You. And Mark, back to you. Yes, thank you, Don. And thank you, Allison. Thank you, Chancellor Allison Garrett for being on our show, Newscape Higher Ed Advisors. And we do hope you, you will come back. Hope you have a wonderful holiday season and much success the first 100 days, year and years ahead. So thank you and uh, we wish you much success. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs>